Welcome back to another episode of the Sex Masters Podcast. Before we get into today's episode, let's have some comedic relief related to today's topic. All right, all right. You had a family get together on the weekend, and you realize that your grandson is being raised by a moron. <laughs> Imbecile son-in-law. It's common affliction. Well, he married your daughter. There was a tip-off. <laughs> but now it's serious because there's offspring involved. A little rascal needs a dad, needs kind of a firm hand. Tradition. Yeah, and you're afraid that your knee-jerk son-in-law is not going to raise the kid the way you would. Maybe not going to let him play with guns. Not ever going to let him throw the first punch. Or even the second. Prefers soccer to baseball. It's very, uh, European. Don't worry, and the kid will probably grow up, toughen up, and stop listening to his dad. It's like we did. Absolutely. Maybe get arrested a couple of times, you know? Nothing serious, just enough to make him a man. Worth five years in university. Oh, yeah. Yeah. My dad never hugged me, never held my hand. I turned out all right. Men should not touch men. So just give it time. Hopefully the kid will come around. We did. Oh, yeah. That's right. We're talking about the low-hanging fruit of in-laws. As you are approaching the altar, getting ready to get married, you suddenly realize that your spouse's family is now going to be your family, in-laws. And for some of you, this is a nightmare. For others, maybe not so much. But we all have different relationships with different members of the family, especially our in-laws. Some of you realize that you're getting a whole set of crazy when you're getting married to your spouse. Not that your spouse is crazy, but that the in-laws are crazy. And you're going, oh my God, what the hell did I just do? And you're looking at your spouse's family and you're wondering, how did such a crazy you know, nut like this produce a great child? Or how did this family environment create a child like this? Now, some of you may have great relationships with your in-laws, but there's always that one in-law that you just don't get along with. And of course, sometimes your spouse knows that their family is crazy. Sometimes, not so much. And which in-law is the worst may depend on who you are in the relationship. Are you the husband or are you the wife? Because this is kind of one of those strange dynamics that we come across here. So for women, the in-law that they tend to maybe dread the most is the mother-in-law. The mother-in-law, you married my son, you know, trying to give you tips on the right way to cook, cleaning tips for the house or even worse, trying to give you unsolicited advice over how to raise your child. Well, the father-in-law in this situation for you women are generally the one that you have the better relationship with. He is kinder, gentler, you know, more approving and doesn't tend to get in the way. You know, being like a typical male probably doesn't ask too many questions. You know, just goes, hey, do you need help with anything? You know, move this, move that you know, whatever. Oh, hey, I can fix that for you. You know, and you may have a great relationship where for men, the reverse could be true. You can have great relationships with your mother-in-law. She is warm. She is nice. She is very courteous, but it's the father-in-law for men that we got to worry about because, you know, men have a hard enough time developing friendships and relationships with each other. Now you're dealing with a father-in-law that's like, So you're the idiot that married my daughter. It's just how it goes. And then, of course, the brother-in-laws and the sister-in-laws. You know, it really has quite a bit of a dynamic here. And so I'm lucky on the one hand, you know, that my in-laws, I can tolerate. I, you know, my mother-in-law, you know, um, not that I have a whole lot of conversations or deep relationship uh, with her, mainly because, you know, the distance and not being able to really get together that often. And I'm not the type of person to just call up on the phone and go, Hey, how's it going? What are you doing? If I go come into the room and my wife is talking with her mom, then sure. I'll say, hi, how's it going? You know, we'll have conversations when she comes up for a visit, but for the most part, you know, because of the distance, I don't see her that often, but I've never had a bad relationship with her. Never had an argument, never had anything to dislike about her. In fact, I am very grateful for her as, you know, she taught my wife how to cook, you know, and I've greatly enjoyed that, you know, and when uh, I first started dating my wife back in high school, 
I don't know what her initial thoughts are or was of me, but I would like to think that, you know, and I have no way to back this up, but I'd like to think that she was kind of on my side, maybe defending me to who became my father-in-law. Now, there was a guy, my father-in-law. You know, uh, at first, it was very obvious that he did not like me. And if I'm looking back at it, I probably don't blame him. I mean, here it is. I'm showing up dating his youngest daughter, a high school punk with, you know, a long hair, you know, the old mop top, the sides are shaved, but the hair on top is so long it goes down. And I had different hair color all the time. I've had blue hair, red hair, blonde hair, orange hair, green hair, purple hair. I mean, I, I was always going for all different types of colors, which, you know, for a guy of his generation, probably didn't think too highly of me. But maybe he was just hoping, oh, the relationship won't last. This is just a phase. This is just a high school boyfriend. She'll move on. But that never happened. We ended up getting married and having three kids. Now, my father-in-law is no longer with us. You know, he had passed away, but we never really had a relationship, you know, and we never really did get along all of that well. But we did get into a nice, comfortable, smooth uh, situation of just ignoring each other's existence. You know, I mean, here's a guy who was hardworking, you know, grew up on a farm, farmed his entire life. You know, he kind of a hard, hardened man. And, you know, I'm not going to say anything ill of him, but I can just tell that he never really had much of a liking for me, at least not in the early days. Now, like I said, we came into the, you know, situation of, mutual ignoring each other's existence. You know, when I would go over, you know, uh, to, you know, to my parent-in-laws, you know, with my wife and with the kids, you know, he would disappear and I wouldn't do anything if I saw him walking by, you know, he didn't acknowledge me. I didn't really acknowledge him, but there was one moment, you know, where we did get a picture of him and along with my mother-in-law, uh, sitting with our oldest child and he smiled and we were always kind of surprised by that you know, getting him to sit down for a picture and he was smiling. This was unheard of. So yeah, I never really had much of a relationship. And, you know, in the early days, we may have butted heads just a little bit, you know, and he may have wanted to get rid of me, but I didn't go anywhere. Now I have no idea because we never talked whether or not over the years, you know, especially in the years, you know, after getting married, whether or not he ever came around to not disliking me. You know, I wouldn't say or go as far as to ever say liking me, but maybe, you know, not have any dislike, maybe kind of a neutral, you know, doesn't think of me one way or the other. It was really one of those situations where, you know, it, there wasn't really any conversation going on. And I can see this play now in many households, father-in-laws with son-in-laws, where they might not really get along, they butt heads, of course, maybe the father-in-law is trying to give unsolicited advice, and maybe it's not just the father-in-law, maybe it's his actual father who is constantly hounding him with unsolicited advice. You know what you should do? You know, the, the, that relationship and that dynamic is very complex. If, you know, if your husband and your father don't hit it off right away, you know, don't make a good first impression, chances are they're unlikely to have that great of a relationship. But there are a lot of father and son-in-law situations where they just come to a mutual, you know, ignoring of each other. Maybe for the sake of you, they might pass by, you know, pleasant small talk. But then again, there are situations where father and son-in-laws do get along and have a great relationship. It is one of those really complicated, and it can be very hilarious watching a couple of guys, your husband and your father, sitting in the same room. They could go hours on end in complete silence, you know, where they just maybe use the TV as a distraction to pass by the time. And the only conversation is, hey, you want another beer? <laughs> and some of you are looking at this and going, yeah, that is true. Now, if you're looking for advice on this, I really don't have advice on how to improve the relationship between your father and your husband, there, there really is no one-size-fits-all advice. And from a guy who never really learned to really get along with his father-in-law, I'm not really in a place where I would be able to go off and give advice. But I'm just letting you know about the situation. There's a lot of, you know, 
uncomfortable silence that is going on there. Whereas your husband has a great relationship with your mother-in-law. It seems like when it comes to in-laws, the opposite genders have a much easier time getting along and dealing with each other than in-laws of the same gender. And I don't know what, what that is, at least from men. Men will get along with their mother-in-laws and their sister-in-laws a lot easier than they will be able to connect and get along with their brother-in-laws and father-in-laws. Maybe that's just because of the male bonding. You know, By the time you get married, you're an already an adult male and you're already cutting down on the number of relationships that you have because, well, the older men get, the less we want to be around other people. You know, too much of a hassle, too much of a drama, too much of people trying to ask for things. And you can see this as a pattern. And so by the time you get married, your husband's already cutting down on the number of friendships that he has, just weeding out all the people that annoy him. And so getting to know a whole other family, you know, uh, you know of fathers and brothers and cousins, whatever, is very difficult, you know, trying to go through. They'll keep to surface level you know, trying to find something that they may have in common to pass by the family get-together, you know, whether that's cars, sports, hunting. Now, if you can find them both interested in the same thing, you have a chance at them being able to get along with each other. If the father-in-law and the son-in-law both enjoy hunting, maybe you allow them to go on a hunting trip together, you know, the male bonding experience. But be careful, depending on the situation, one of them might not come back. You know, so maybe start off with something simpler. You know, if they both like the same sports team, good. If they both like uh, sports, but root for different teams, especially those who are major rivals, probably not so well. There will be a lot of trash talking. You know, you, you just try to find some type of common ground that they can just kind of talk about idly during the odd family conversation or family get together so that, you know, they have something. If they have nothing in common, well, good luck. Now, brother-in-laws are also kind of a strange situation as well. I have brother-in-laws that I get along with and brother-in-laws that I don't. And, well, it's just kind of a situation. So, for instance, you know, um, my sister, you know, is married to a guy. Uh, well, of course, you know, my brother-in-law. You know, I'm not going to say his name or anything here on the podcast. And I'm able to have a conversation with them, you know, just kind of talk, a lot of small talk, shoot the breeze. But in all of these years now, I mean, here it is, I'm 38. My sister is about 10, nine, 10 years older than me, you know, and her kids are already grown and out of the house. And you know what? To this day, I know very little about my brother-in-law. I mean, I know that he enjoys hunting, but that's really about it. I don't really know a whole lot about him. We only had a lot of small conversations over the past 20 years, and I really can't tell you much about him outside of, well, he had a career in construction and he enjoys hunting. That's about the sum of my knowledge of my brother-in-law, right, on that front. And this is after, you know, knowing him for 20 years. You could tell how well we get together. And or how well you know we get along. I mean, not that there's any bad blood. And this is even with family get-togethers and you know for the holidays and even family get-togethers outside of the holidays. That's still pretty much the sum of my information and knowledge about him. Which when you think about it is sad. But that is more than I know about some of my other brother-in-laws. So on my wife's side, she has two brothers and a sister. I have a brother and two sisters, by the way. So anyways, you know, and one of my sisters is divorced and outside, uh, during the time that they were married outside of his name, I really didn't know anything about him. I don't know what his interests were. Heck, I couldn't even tell you what his career was. I mean, that is kind of a sad situation when you go off and think about it, you know, so the relationship between men and in-law situation yeah, kind of gets a little complicated. And so on my wife's side, I got, you know, brother-in-laws. Uh, one brother-in-law has passed away, all right, in a car accident. You know, my wife's uh, sister's husband, you know, which is a real tragedy because, well, of course, he left, you know, two daughters behind, you know, teenager, and he died. And yes, 
you know, of course, that's all a tragedy. But when it comes down to it, also, he was the one that I gravitated towards at all family get together. The one I could get along with and actually have a conversation with. We could joke around, laugh, you know, and, you know, talk politics, talk sports, talk everything. I mean, we got along, but that was not always the case. When I first started dating uh, my wife, he didn't necessarily like me either, just like my father-in-law. Now, again, this is a situation where my wife's sister is about 10 years older than her. All right. So by the time I started dating my wife in high school, her sister was already married and he was in the military, a military recruiter. And at first we didn't really get along very well. You know, it's not that there was open hostility. He just didn't like me because he was protective of his sister-in-law. But there was also the part where he was a military recruiter going around to high schools and my name didn't appear anywhere on his recruiting list. So he was kind of suspicious, you know, of if I was who I said I was. I mean, that was always kind of the joke, you know, but I think I gained his respect, you know, by, you know, sticking around, doing right by, you know, my wife and especially after we had gotten married and had kids and such, you know, and just having a good relationship and all that. I think I kind of gained his respect. Plus the kind of more time that we spent together around the family holidays stuff, the more we kind of got to know each other. But I think I can tell you the exact moment when me and him finally got along, finally were able to get to the situation where we had mutual respect for each other. And it was at the wedding of my other brother-in-law, my wife's other, uh, my wife's brother, my oldest brother. And when he got married, you know, and we went to his wedding, um, uh, my wife's sisters, I'll just call him, you know, uh, Paul, you know, just to make it simple, I'm not going to use his real name, you know, but Paul, you know, um, you know, he, he decided his goal at, you know, this wedding would be to get me drunk. You know, he's a military man. He's going to drink me under the table. I come from an Irish-Scottish background, and I had been getting drunk and drinking since I was 15, all right? And I was about 10 years younger than him. The idea that he was going to drink me under the table is ridiculous. So here it is. We went on like a 10-hour drinking bench of drinking uh, scotch, tequila, BV, JD, Jack Daniels, and all of that. And I just wasn't getting drunk. I had a massively high tolerance. At the end of the night, he was plowed. I was still fine, so much so that they had me be the designated driver to drive home. And of course, drove home perfectly fine. You know, again, very high tolerance. The next day, I show up, you know, at his house and I'm wide awake and I'm full of energy and he's suffering from a massive hangover trying to figure out what the hell, how am I still standing? And I think it was over that, you know, just drinking competition, something as simple as that, that got us to the point of getting beyond just a little bit of small talk and, you know, just, you know, being able to enjoy comfortable silence around each other to being able to actually engage in conversation and joke around and be the people that we can tolerate being around at family get togethers and gravitate towards. Now, I, my other brother-in-law, the one whose wedding that we had to attend, you know, I, we don't have any bad blood or any problems. It's just, I don't know anything about him. I can't get him to talk. He's the silent type where you try to go through and have conversations. The most that you can get in a response is, yep, uh-huh, uh-huh. And it's not just me that he's like that with. It's with everybody. I mean, he'll call up his uh, other members of his family, you know, such as my wife. He'll call them up for a conversation, but expect them to do all the talking while he just listens. Okay. All right. You know, that there really isn't anything to work with. I have no idea after all these years. I mean, me and my wife, we've been together, oh, see here, since 2001, 20 years we've been together, 20 years. And, I, and beyond his name, I don't know jack squat about him. I have no idea what his hobbies are. So but then I have another brother-in-law that I'm able to joke around with, have a conversation, don't know a whole lot about, but at least enough that we can engage at family get-together. So, you know, the whole, you know, dynamics there, 
is just one of those funny, interesting situations, you know, and then when it comes to the other in-laws, you know, I have multiple sister-in-law, right? Uh, to be more specific, I have two sister-in-laws, you know, uh, one of them, again, you know, while my wife has always had a close relationship uh, with her sister, I still don't know squat about her. We, we've never really been able to engage in much of a conversation. It's just kind of one of those, hi, yep, uh-huh, okay. You know, just re relegated a lot to small talks. I don't really know a lot about her. While another sister-in-law that I have, you know, we're at such a level that are, you know, because our kids are more at the same age, they play, we have more get-togethers, you know, um, even get-togethers uh, without the rest of the family around. And in the past year, I've even gone through and helped her out and in putting together and filing taxes, you know, get along uh, that way. But we're always kind of ribbing each other, joking each other. Uh, she can take a pretty good uh, insult. You know, and I don't mean like a mean insult, you know, like that, but she's the kind of person who, when she comes up here and, you know, to spend the night, you know, and bring the kids to bring up, you know, and they ask, where am I going to sleep? And I'll let her know, hey, you know, I got an air mattress uh, with a small leak. It's enough to get you through the night, but it won't encourage you to stay very long. You know, just kind of one of those jokes. Now, she knows that I'm joking. Now, there was a time when we didn't get along. We butted heads uh, quite a bit between me and her. But over the years, you know, we just kind of learned to be able to talk, you know, play card games, board games you know, all of that, you know, just kind of being around each other so much. We just kind of learned to get along, even though it was a rough start. And so in-laws, you know, you either like them or you hate them, right? That is the general concept, but that is not really the truth. The in-laws, you can like them, hate them, or really not care one way or the other. But in-laws are in-laws. They're going to be part of your family. So you do have to figure out a way to be able to tolerate them whether you have a mutual ignoring of each other, uh, just complete avoid, avoidance, not being in the same room, or you got to learn how to get along. And just because you have a rough beginning, like I've had with a couple of my in-laws, doesn't mean that's going to be the case. You can go through, have a very rough beginning, not like each other, and get to a place where you don't really care either way about each other. You know, Or you could have a rough beginning and actually be close enough where you help each other out and you are, you know, family with tight family, um, tight family. Um, oh, I don't know how to say it at the moment, you know, and I get it. You know, the conversation about in-laws, how to handle it. You know, if you're a guy, you know, the best thing that you could do is just find something in common and then start there, you know, s some type of male bonding activity, if you can find one or just avoid it altogether for women. I'm sure the situation when it comes to in-laws is quite different for you. You know, the in-laws that you do and do not get along with. And being able to figure that out is not always easy. And when it comes down to it, uh, when it comes down to the father-in-law, you know, there's just going to be a situation where father-in-laws and son-in-laws don't go get along very well. They have very different philosophies in life, very different uh, ideologies about how to raise kids. You know, very different. You know, the whole, you got to toughen them up. Oh, we don't believe in, you know, spankings and punishment because we want them to develop their own, you know, identity. Yeah. You know, because if, you, you know, the situation is if a guy marries your daughter and has boys, that's, you know, well, it's not really carrying on your name, but that's still your grandson. And you want your grandson to be able to grow up and, you know, be able to take care of himself and everything. And, you know, if the son-in-law is, well, raising a complete wuss, well, that could be a problem. So yes, I've gone through and I've kind of explained a little bit about my relationships with my in-laws, you know, ones I get along with, ones I don't, ones I didn't get along with in the beginning and some of the bonding activities. I'm not really sure how well this is going to help you in determining it and trying to figure out what to do if you have in-laws that you don't get along with. My best advice is if you can't find anything to engage in to create a bonding experience, then just try to avoid each other altogether. You know, stick to small talk and use the TV to fill in the silence as much as possible. All right. Because, yeah. And I don't know how many of you go out there and look at your spouse, look at your in-laws and wonder how the hell, you know, 
All right, that's enough of me just kind of rambling and just kind of providing a basic surmise of in-laws. Let's go ahead and get in to the questions for today. Question number one, and yes, I keep all of this anonymous. My boyfriend doesn't like fingering or anything, and it makes me feel like shit, but he's perfectly fine receiving blowjobs and having sex with me, which pisses me off, to be honest. BJs aren't for my pleasure, they're for his. So why can't he have the same energy with me? I don't know what to do or to say to him. Okay, so here it is. You got a selfish guy that's only thinking about his pleasure. And he's going off and trying to use the excuse. He doesn't like fingering you. He doesn't like fingering. Okay, so let me get this straight. He doesn't like sticking his finger in there to, you know, tease you, play with your G-spot, but he's perfectly comfortable sticking his dick in you. This does not add up. This does not make sense. Now, is it a situation where, you know, maybe there was a past relationship where he went down to finger a girl and she turned out to be on her period? I don't know, you know, whether there was some bad experience, you know, and maybe it's something that was embarrassing, or maybe it is that, you know, he has rough, rugged hands. I don't know what his profession is in this situation, but if he's someone like a mechanic, for example, maybe the issue here isn't so much about you know, being disgusted or not liking fingering you, but rather he is uncertainty of whether or not he got all of the grease and all of the oil and all of that off of his hands and doesn't want to introduce something down there that could cause you problems or cause you, you know, irritation. So it kind of depends on the profession here, but let's go ahead and assume for a moment that the situation is he's a desk jockey. You know, he flies a desk for a living, you know, a cubicle dweller. And therefore, there is nothing, you know, that gets his hands all greasy and dirty and all of that. Well, then we come into more of a major problem where he's being selfish. You know, he's thinking about just his pleasure. He's not willing to do things to you that, for whatever reason, he doesn't like. And I'm guessing the anything else means he's not willing to eat you out as well. You know, so he's not willing to do anything he doesn't like, but he sure enjoys you doing things to him, even though you don't like it. So he likes to receive, but he doesn't like to give. Okay, this is definitely a problem because, yeah, for sure, blowjobs are not for the pleasure of the woman giving the blowjob, although some women really do enjoy giving blowjobs and it's a bit of a turn on for them. Okay, but for most instances, blowjobs, while it may sexually arouse women, delivers all the pleasure to the man. So here's what I would say. In this particular situation, cut him off from the blowjob. Yes. You know, I I know, I know I go through and I talk about, you know, how you should be, you know, worshiping his cock, going through, giving him blowjobs, bending over, stripping naked and having sex with him as part of reigniting the honeymoon phase, the passion and relieving stress and getting them into the mood to be able to go through and do all of the things that you want to do in the relationship outside of the bedroom and how making sure that he is stress free and not sexually frustrated puts him in a much easier mood to do other things. But if you're doing that and you have a great relationship outside of the bedroom, the problem is issues in the bedroom such as this. Well, then we can go through after you have been generous and not seeing the changes to cutting them off. You've already tried first the honey, right? And I'm not saying that you should never cut them off from sex, never pull back from anything. What I'm saying is at first, You go off to increase the activity, but if you're not seeing the changes, then you go through and do a bit of the reverse, holding back some of the things or holding back a little bit of sex after you have increased it if you don't see the results in order to see whether or not he notices the changes and maybe then have that discussion over the relationship and your feelings about the relationship. But in this particular situation, this is very easy. You know, you've been giving them blowjobs. And probably quite frequently as part of your sexual, you know, well, as part of your sex routine, but he's not returning the favor. Well, since this has been going on for a while, just cut off the blowjobs and see if he notices, right? Go off and just, you know, no more blowjobs. Don't offer it. If he asks for one in this particular situation, you can say no, you know, that you're not going to give him blowjobs, right? And then wait for him to bring it up and going like, hey, wait a minute, you You've never had a problem giving a blowjob before. What's changed? And then that's when you bring up the situation of saying, well, why should I give you blowjobs if you're not willing to eat me? You know, if you're not willing to, 
you know, finger me or, you know, tease me up and play. You know, I'm putting in all this effort and you're not giving back. So if you want blowjobs, you have to eat me, right? You know, no eating, no blowjobs. You know, I mean, yes, in some situations that does seem like it's a little bit transactional, but let him know that, you know, in order for him to get oral, he has to give oral and then try to go through there. Now, you may find in a situation where while he may have enjoyed the blowjobs, he he probably uh, could come across a situation where he didn't care either way. Sure, uh, if you want to give one, sure, it feels good. But if you stop giving blowjobs, will he miss it? And then you got to decide from there what to do. Is oral sex a deal breaker in the relationship? All right, now you're saying boyfriend, so you're not married. All right, so you have the option to determine at this particular point in time if oral sex as part of your sexual relationship is or is not a deal breaker. If not getting oral sex is a deal breaker, well, then you start the process of you know, with the boyfriend of you know winding down the relationship little by little, spending less and less time together, less and less sex, and doing less and less sexually as you start getting ready to explore and find a new boyfriend to who you are more sexually compatible with. Now, maybe he doesn't understand how important oral sex is to you, and maybe in cutting him off on blowjobs, that he will finally be motivated to engage in oral sex and eating you out, and for saving the relationship or, you know, to save the blowjobs in the relationship, he will go through with it. Now, you could find out that maybe he's never eaten another woman out, and so part of the issue with him not fingering and not eating you out might be just because he's embarrassed from a lack of experience and just doesn't want to tell you about it and doesn't want to go through and go down there only to find out that you're criticizing him. So if the situation is he's never eaten a girl out, he has no experience, and at this point he's just embarrassed by the lack of experience, then you know maybe you ask him, hey, have you ever eaten any woman out? It's okay if you haven't because I can teach you how to do it, you know, let you know what does and doesn't feel good. So maybe you have that conversation. Do you know what the true source of his objection is to eating you out? Now, again, you can go through and start holding back on the blowjobs until he eats you out. And if that doesn't work, then you really just have to decide whether or not the sexual incompatibility here is or is not a deal breaker. You know, can you tolerate the rest of your life if you got married, never receiving oral sex again? Or is that a deal breaker and it's time for you to go off and find someone you're more sexually compatible with, all right? So just to sum this up, what you do is you just cut out the blowjob, let him know that he's not going to get another blowjob until he starts eating you out, and then have a conversation if he's actually never eaten any woman out, you know, to help build up his confidence, you know, and providing him feedback. Ooh, I like that. Oh, more of that. Oh, no, 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 not there. A little bit to your left, you know, maybe something like that, you know, um, but if he goes off and goes fine, I don't care if you never give me a blowjob. Well, then the decision's up to you on your sexuality. All right. So I would just cut him off from the blowjobs and then have a conversation when he brings it up. That's my advice. Okay. Next question, who I will also say anonymous. Again, every question here is anonymous. Okay. I'm a 30-year-old female, married my high school sweetheart, who is 31 and male. We were 19 when we got married, and now I'm doubting our long-term relationship. So I met my husband when we were both 17. We grew up in a royal Midwest within conservative households that did not discourage us when we chose to get married at 20. All right, good. They didn't discourage you, so the family had no objections. All right, my husband is a wonderful man. He's kind and affectionate, but our marriage is not fulfilling to me. I've been the solid foundation of our relationship up until this point. I've worked so he could finish school. I paid off our debt. I got us financially ready to buy a house. I'm just not feeling it and am disappointed that this is my life now. I knew he was an introvert before I married him. But him being an introvert resulted in me doing my own thing throughout my 20s because he didn't want to do anything that I wanted to do. I spent the last 10 years compromising on what I want to meet him where he is at. 
Plus, it doesn't help that our sex life is per- pretty non-existent because he won't take the time to understand and try to fulfill my needs, making sex a chore. I guess I just feel like I've done all the hard work to get where we're at today, but it still doesn't feel like enough for me. My husband has never done anything uh, for me to doubt his faithfulness or done anything to me to doubt his faithfulness, and I know that he loves me deeply. I'm just now getting to the point where I want something else from a relationship and don't think he can get there. From the outside looking in, we have a great relationship. I am crazy. Am I crazy for considering blowing it all up just so I can try to live the life that I want for myself? Okay, so there are a lot of different parts to this particular question. The first one is, you've been married for a decade and you're now starting to doubt the relationship. So the question, since you are hitting the 30, you know, you're identifying as 30 years old. Is this really an issue about your husband or is this one of those I'm turning 30 crisis? You know, your 20s are over. You're now starting to hit your middle ages. You're feeling uncomfortable about the fact that you just turned 30 and what that means for you being out of your 20s and no longer being considered a young adult and whether you're having an early crisis. And just taking a look at the last 10 years and thought, hmm, I didn't really accomplish much that I wanted to accomplish. And so now you're just reassessing and maybe putting some things on your husband. That's not really his issue, but just, you know, scapegoating your own discomfort in life. Uh, That could be one issue. And only you can answer whether or not that's the particular situation, you know, about, you know, whether it's just because of the turning 30s, ending your 20s, and having a little bit of a crisis about, where you're going. Now, the second thing here is going off here. You talk about how you've you know, built the solid foundation of the relationship. Well, if only one of you is working on the relationship, there is not really a solid foundation there. But you go off, I paid off all of our debt. I got us financially ready to buy a house. Where was he in this? I, I, I'm just wondering, are, are you saying that because you were the one managing the finances? Are you the only one with an income? You know, is he just like a little boy where you just give him an allowance out of his paycheck and then you manage the rest of the money? And so one of the things that you need to get on here is that when it comes to the household finances, you need to be on the same page and discussing your family finances all together. And I would suggest you go through a course like uh, Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. How much was he involved in the financial planning of the house? You know, because you could have a situation where if he is introverted and you are extroverted, that he his life may not be going the way that he wants, but maybe he's just too afraid to talk to you because you may have the ability to dominate the conversation or you're more forceful uh, with your opinions than he is. And he just feels like it's all dominated and he's being shut down. So maybe he's just given up on what he wants out of life in order to avoid an argument with you. And so maybe this is an issue about a lack of communication and a lack of, you know, talking to each other about what your family goals are. Do you even know what your goals are? Yes, you got out of debt and you bought a house. Okay, great. But do you know where you want to go from here? Do you have an actual plan? Have you tried discussing any of this with him and talk about what his financial goals are, what his career goals are? You know, he may be going off and thinking that he has sacrificed a lot uh, for you as well. I mean, have you really had that conversation? And so you need to start having conversations together about your financial and career goals and what it is that you want your household to look like. You know, going through never having this conversation and then wondering why you don't have the long-term relationship that you hope for, well, you kind of need to discuss what it is you want out of the relationship with him. Now, as far as the non-existent sex life goes, okay, now this becomes a quite a bit of a problem here, you know, um, especially if he has the low libido, so you barely have sex, and then he's lazy in bed. Okay, well, there are several ways to go about this. Some of them are a little underhanded. So, uh, again, this starts off uh, with a conversation, you know, going off and having a conversation with him about, hey, you know... <clears throat> You know, I don't take this as criticism, but I need you to have some concern about my pleasure in bed. You know, you know, you find a way to word it that, you know, would work and doesn't sound like an attack on him. 
right? See, you know, maybe he doesn't uh, know. I mean, if you're in a situation where you've been faking orgasms, maybe he thinks he is rocking your world, you know, and you got to kind of go through and don't be, you know, mean where, you know, you have sex, you let him get off, and then you grab the vibrator and finish yourself off right next to him. That, that, that is kind of on the mean side. Maybe wait for him to fall asleep and then go somewhere else to quietly do it. You know? But you need to have that conversation with him. And then you know, see whether or not his attitude uh, or anything changes. Maybe find some romantic couples porn you know, to maybe try and give him ideas. I mean, if you've been together you know, since high school, especially if you were each other's first, and even if you weren't each other's first, let's face it, high school students don't really know what they're doing sexually, you know, that maybe he's just never learned, you know, what to do. And so he's just stuck to the bare basics of what he knows because he doesn't understand or have the imagination to think of anything. So maybe you find some good uh, romantic couples porn that you pick out, and maybe that will help give him some ideas of things to do sexually in bed, you know, and while you're watching it, maybe you can point out uh, in the porn, hey, that looks like it would be fun, or hey, that looks like it would feel good. Hey, can we try that? You know, that's a way to bring it up. You're watching porn together, and you just go, hey, can we try that? You know, give them some ideas. Let them know that you are sexually craving more in the sexual part of your relationship. That might help the situation uh, as well. Now, if that doesn't work, maybe you could try some underhanded method. You know, um, if we were to go by stereotypical, you know, uh, gender roles and all that, maybe you do more of the cooking, you know, in the household. And it's sad over how little men can actually cook, how we're not really taught to cook. Although we can figure out how to grill. Oh yeah, put us in front of a grill. We'll figure it out real easily. Put us in the kitchen with a stove and we're clueless. Go figure. But in any event, you know, if you're the type that does all the cookings, maybe you can use some natural sexual stimulant. You know, I'm not talking about, you know, pharmaceutical grade Viagra or anything, but you know, just sexual stimulants, you know, that you can buy over the counter. Uh, do your research to figure out which ones do and do not work. You know, we're talking about a horny goat weed, your mimbi, and all that, you know, to try and boost up his sex drive. And then as a sex drive gets boosted, I mean, you could be a little mean, you know, and, you know, you can have sex, you know, uh, with him, you know, uh, in the beginning. But then as time goes on, here he is, his sex drive is being boosted. And you're letting him know that if he wants sexual relief, then he has to be willing to provide you some of the sexual pleasure that you desire. I mean, that is some of the underhanded stuff that you can do. You know, and of course, you got to know to make sure that he's not allergic to horny goat weed or, you know, some of the natural stimulants uh, that you could provide in there. But how much of a conversation have you had? I haven't seen anything in this question that goes off and says, hey, we've talked about this and he refuses to change. It just seems like you're not having the conversation and you're just making sacrifices trying to conform to him without even seeing what it is that he's even wanting. You know, he may have the same view of, I feel like I'm making all the sacrifices to try and make you happy and you're never happy. And so I would almost say that there is quite a bit of a lack of communication here, at least based off of what information I can get from this question. And so, yes, my advice, have the conversations, go through Financial Peace University to get on the same page financially, uh, along with your financial career and family goals. You didn't say anything about kids. Have conversations uh, related to sex. You can find ways to bring it up. Again, you know, have porn uh, that you can watch together and go point stuff out. Hey, I, that looks like fun. Can we try that? You know, to give them some ideas just in case maybe he just has a lack of imagination and you haven't talked to him. And then you can work on, you know, changes to his diets or supplements added to his diet to increase his sex drive and basically give him the motivation to want to pleasure you sexually. And as that becomes habit, that just becomes habit, right? And you don't need to keep it up, you know, no pun intended. Now, you know, you know that he hasn't been unfaithful, at least not to, you know, not or hasn't done anything to make you suspect that he's been unfaithful. Hey, that is good. And you know that he loves you. you know, you're just not getting what you want from the relationship. Well, do you know what you want? If you do, then have that discussion. But on the flip side, 
maybe you need to sit down and actually think about what it is you want out of life. Are you just panicking because you turned 30? Or is there something that is real uh, going on here? So there's a lot of different moving parts and a lot of if this, then that, uh, that is going on in here. And I'm trying to address each individual issue that I'm seeing in this particular question. And hopefully that helps you. If not, feel free to send me a message and uh, to provide further clarifying information. And then I will try to respond to that as best possible. Okay, next question here. How do I keep up with my husband? I've always been a sexual person and I love it. Usually I never reject him sexually at all unless I'm on my period. But as the years went by, his drive did not decrease any lasts way too long, longer than he used to. It's exhausting. He says he can't control it. So like if I tell him to just finish early, he says he can't. I have to sit there every single day for usually around two hours and 20 minutes lately. If you can keep up with that, good for you. But personally, I can't. Walking is hard. (laughs) Sitting is hard. After having sex for that long, my brain isn't able to work normally through the day. Again, I'm exhausted and slow and kind of disassociating. So first off, I want to say good for you. Good for you being a great loving wife and going through and keeping up with your husband like that for not rejecting him, saying yes every single time and trying to keep up with his sexual needs, even though you're not in the mood. So I would say good for you on that. You know, a lot of women uh, can learn from this. Now, getting around to the question here, two hours and 20 minutes, that is a lot of fucking uh, every single day. Two hours and 20 minutes every single day? Is that serious or are you being a little hyperbolic about it being every day? I mean, maybe two hours and 20 minutes every, you know, several times a week. Okay. You know, two, three times a week, but every single day? It's been for two hours and 20 minutes. Wow. That is, you know, I wish you would tell me uh, what your ages are because I have a feeling you're more in your late teens. Well, not late teens because it's your husband, but I would say you're probably more in your early 20s. Okay. So good for you on that. Now let's get into addressing the problem here. All right. So your sex drive is not up uh, on par with his, and you're having a hard time keeping up with two hours and 20 minutes every single day and you're wanting to know what to do. All right, so first thing here, um, how's your proficiency in oral sex? You know, oral sex, uh, using your mouth and your hands to really try to, you know, help move things along can decrease the amount of time. I mean, for me and my wife, you know, when we have sex, it's usually about a 60-minute ordeal. You know, we've been really working hard on trying to get through and figure out the workings of a quickie. And that's because by the time our kids get to bed and, you know, and we get relaxed and start getting into it and all of that, that by the time we get done having sex, you know, we don't get much sleep. And so we understand that the exhaustion and, you know, the lack of sleep, you know, can be an issue and demotivating. Now, you haven't mentioned that you have kids, and I would assume that you don't uh, with two hours and 20 minutes, because let's face it, you're not going to get that amount of time when you have young kids around. Okay. Either that or you're not getting any sleep whatsoever. All right. So here's some of the things that you can do. If this is an energy issue, you know, like physical energy, you just don't have the physical capabilities. You could take uh, like super B vitamin complex in order to give yourself more energy in order to be able to physically keep up the physical energy. Or maybe, you know, adding a combination of caffeine and B vitamins if the issue is taking a look at physical energy. Now, I have a feeling that it's not just about physical energy because you're talking about how hard it is for you to walk or sit after having sex. So some of the issue is uh, vaginal dryness, you know, that is making it hard for you to be able to keep up and just kind of leaving you sore and worn out you know, um, and don't take that negatively. So there are a couple of things that you can do in this particular situation here. Uh, One of those issues is drinking more water, making sure you are properly hydrated so that your body has what it needs in order to provide you uh, the proper amount of lubrication down there. And as you stay properly lubricated, 
you're not going to have that, you know, discomfort that comes from sex while dealing with vaginal dryness. And so that is one of the things uh, that you can do to help you out. In addition to making sure that you are drinking plenty of water to remain, you know, hydrated is maybe you go through and start investing some of your money into getting lube, you know, and you can experiment with different types of lubes to figure out which ones do uh, work best for you and which ones not so much. You know, uh, you can go for, you know, kind of thin, runny, water-based lube, you know, depending on how wet you get uh, versus uh, maybe you can use some of the thicker lubes that may be designed as more of an anal lube, but you can still use uh, for your uh, vagina, you know, in order to make sure that, you know, the lube stays in place and works much longer. You know, that will help with the vaginal dryness of, you know, going around so long and making it easier for you to walk and be able to sit afterwards, you know, making sure that you have the proper lubrication. And so B vitamins, caffeine for physical energy, water and lube uh, to deal with the strain on your vagina. Another thing uh, that you would be able to do because you're asking for ways that you will be able to keep up with him. You're not looking for ways to decrease his sexuality or his sex drive, which I do enjoy the fact that you're asking, what can you do to better keep up with him? Is that you can start taking a look at, you know, sexual stimulants uh, for yourself. You know, um, that doesn't mean going in and getting a female version of pharmaceutical grade Viagra. Uh, you can test it out with natural herbs and supplements, uh, daily insight for women you know, daily uh, sexual stimulants. Uh, it may take you a few weeks, you know, to a couple of months to really build up. But as you take it, especially if you take it in higher dosages, it will boost your sex drive and you'll get more pleasure out of this. Heck, for two hours and 20 minutes out of the day, you take uh, the right sexual stimulant and maybe you might get two or three orgasms every single day. Man, think about what type of mood you would be in having two or three orgasms in a particular day. Now, there used to be a supplement that I had used with my wife, especially in the early days of our relationship, and she would have three, four orgasms uh, each time that she took it, you know, and we would go throughout the day. Now, the reason why it turned out to be so effective and the reason why it's no longer available is because they lied about what they put in it. You know, they had the list of ingredients, but secretly they were putting Viagra in there for women. So, I didn't realize I was giving her Viagra, but man, she was wet and horny all day, wanting to go at it for hours and hours uh, during the day and having multiple orgasms. So maybe you can take a look at something like that for yourself. You know, is it a situation where maybe you do take Viagra on a daily basis? Although that could be quite expensive going through and taking, you know, a daily Viagra. Now, you can get cheap supplements that are like $2 a pill, and you can go in uh, to an app on your phone, Lemonade Health, and maybe you can get Viagra for women, you know, and be able to take it on a daily basis for yourself. And therefore, you are wet, horny, and you can have multiple orgasms during that two hours and 20 minutes. If you don't like the idea of pharmaceuticals, you can take a look at all natural herbs and supplements to build up. Uh, your blood flow, sex drive, in order to make sure that you are, you know, wet and horny constantly and going through and being able to handle this much sex. And even with all of that, if you still can't handle it, I would go more for the oral sex, switching off between your mouth and your hand, you know, of kind of jerking them. Uh, that will help him get to the state or to the point of ejaculation faster. I'm not saying finish him off that way, but you can use that to try and go towards gearing him or getting him very much stimulated, very much, you know, um, aroused and getting them uh, to that point faster than just vaginal intercourse so that maybe you can cut down on that particular amount of time that it takes for him uh, to go off and, you know, ejaculate, you know, so that he doesn't take that. Maybe it's only, you know, 30 minutes, maybe it's 45 minutes. Uh, using oral sex as a way to kind of speed that process up. So that would be my advice. Some B vitamins, make sure that you're properly hydrated uh, going off and using lubes, and then work on maybe, you know, taking some natural sexual stimulant for yourself so that you're in the mood and that you can have an orgasm yourself 
on a daily basis if you're wanting to figure out how to keep up with them. Okay, so here's the last question here. My wife admitted to cheating on me. My wife recently had more confidence than usual. She suffered from long-term self-conscious about her body. She started to dress up and take some sexy pictures for me and sent them to me randomly. She also started having sex with me frequently. I appreciated the gesture since our libidos have never quite matched up. Later that week, though, her behavior was out of place. She was turning her phone off as soon as I'd walk into the room. I'd see her smiling or laughing at text messages, caught her lying about who she was texting, and even hid her phone at night to prevent me from going through it. She had an issue several years ago where she was talking, texting inappropriately with some coworker, and I caught her by going through her phone. Before you guys call me a monster for violating her privacy, I only did it after she acted extremely suspicious. See, I never really got this whole point of you're violating her privacy going through her phone, and then you find out that she was cheating. You know, like catching a person cheating is uh, not as bad or as big of an issue as the person cheating themselves. I, if you're a cheater, you know what? You better expect that someone's going to go through and find out about it. You're going to have changes in your behavior. You know, as far as husband and wife goes, I don't think that there is any privacy between the two of you. You know, you are one. You should be an open book to each other, sharing everything. Okay, let's get back to the question here. So I went through her phone and lo and behold, found photos and videos that she shared with some guy she met on Tinder. And she shared some back, or excuse me, he shared some back. I was really hurt by that since it was the same thing that happened years ago. Now, if you have a spouse who has a Tinder profile, that's a warning that, that they, they are cheating. They are cheating. If they have Tinder and they have an active Tinder profile and they have Tinder on their phone, that is a dating app. That's a, that's a red sign cheating, right? Whether they actually meet up and physically do something or just sharing naked pictures, they are cheating. All right. So it goes on to read. While I was doing that, she came into the room and knew immediately what was going on. I could see on her face that she was mad, but she knew that she was in the wrong. When I confronted her, she told me that it meant nothing. <laughs> oh, it meant nothing. I'm just sending naked pictures of myself to other guys. What's the big deal? Yeah. You could already tell where I'm going with this that it meant nothing and she was only doing it because I've been kind of closed off since the last time this happened. Okay, so your excuse for sending people naked pictures is because your spouse was mad after the last time you sent naked pictures. So it's like, I sent naked pictures, you were kind of mad uh, about it, and therefore, because you were mad, I feel justified in sending more naked pictures. What kind of logic is that? All right. All right. Sorry, I'm getting too much as I'm reading the question here. All right. The fact that I wasn't giving her the attention she needed is why she found someone else to share these photos and videos with. I felt sick to my stomach. I felt like it was my fault, but at the same time, I knew I didn't do anything wrong. She was totally honest with me and said that she would never do it again. The same thing she said last time, which makes her a liar. You can't trust her. She's uncredible. How hard is this to figure out here? She also said that since she was being perfectly honest, she needed to tell me the truth about last time. Turns out it was more than just photos and videos. She admitted that they had had sex once and kept it from me all of these years. See, the, this, is, this is what we get to. They confronted you sharing naked pictures and photos while having you know, unusual changes in your behavior. You did not fully disclose everything that happened which means the reason why he was closed off is because he suspected that there was more to the story that you were holding back, that you were lying. And guess what? He was right. And because he always had the suspicion that you were lying, he was kind of closed off because he didn't trust you anymore. Not only did you violate his trust, but then you lied about the level of how much you violated his trust. Hmm. I wonder. <sighs> All right. I'm heartbroken. I feel so violated and disrespected. She made a mockery of our marriage, showed no remorse for lying every day for years. I don't know if I believe she won't do it again. Well, I can tell you, you probably shouldn't believe her. She's done it multiple times now. And guess what? I'm not sure I would believe her if she said 
that, oh, well, last time there was sex that I lied to you and denied for years, that this time there was no actual sex involved. I'm not sure I would be able to trust that either. Uh, that's not a lot. Um, I <laughs> There's not a lot I do trust anymore from her. We had a pretty long and healthy discussion about our relationship and our marriage, and I'm not sure how to proceed now. I feel like I should leave her for this, but if I do, her life and my children's life will become significantly harder as I am the only income in the house. I also feel like if I stay with her, I'll never be able to trust her again. I can't even look at her without being angry and hurt. I know a lot of people will say to prioritize myself and my happiness but by leaving her, but I can't do that without seriously impacting my kid's life. And honestly, I don't want to leave her. Most I don't want to leave her, mostly because I feel like I won't ever get over her and because I don't want my kids to suffer. Okay, okay. So you know what? Here's the thing. Um, this is multiple times now. Uh, if you stay with her, you're a fool, all right? Maybe you forgive cheating once and try to work through it for the sake of the kids the first time. But once there's a second time, that's it. You know, I get that you want to go through and worry about the impact that it will have on your kids. And I get that. But what is the impact on your kids of a marriage that is a sham? You know, a marriage where one person is constantly cheating on the other person. What kind of impact will that have on your kids? And I, I get all of that, but maybe, you know, being divorced and having shared custody is a better situation than having our living in a household with two parents that don't get along, don't like each other, and are constantly angry at each other. You know, you got to wonder what the impact on the kids are of having one spouse constantly getting away with cheating, you know, and maybe being able to go through and it could be a better situation where the two of you split and remarry other people that are more closely aligned with what it is you're looking for in a relationship. And so therefore they get to see two examples of good relationship rather than one example of a bad relationship. I, you got to be able to think that there are cons to and impacts on your kids as far as staying together in a toxic marriage like this. And so if you're wanting to go through and you know get my advice here, it would be given from what you said, she's lied to you for years, showed no remorse for it, and has done this multiple times. You can't trust her. There is nothing left in this relationship. The only thing that's going to be going on here is that constant distrust, constant anger, and you denying yourself a happy marriage and a happy relationship with somebody else. You know, a marriage that you could show as an example and a model to your kids, having a shared joint custody, you know, and for her, you know, maybe, you know, it's best if she goes her separate way as well, you know, with shared custody of the kids and find someone that's more aligned with her sexual wants and, re and desires out of a relationship. You know, you, you got to understand, while I understand maybe going through and forgiving a person once and trying to work it through for the sake of the kids, all right, I can understand that argument after the first time, but after the second time, after the third time, you know, at what point are you using the kids to justify just being a complete and total wuss, to being a doormat, to, you know, justify having no respect in the relationship? And at what point does one person cheating on the other have a negative impact on the kids? when that is being seen and done repeatedly, all right? So you need to have very careful and uh, thought process here over this because at some point you're just using the kids as an excuse because while you're angry at your spouse, you're too afraid of being alone that you would rather have a dishonest cheater that you can never trust rather than face the possibility of never being able to find a loving relationship. All right, so stop using the kids as an excuse. The person has cheated on you twice, lied about it, showed no remorse. You're dealing with a narcissist here. All right, so pull the plug. Pull the plug while you still have a chance at a happy life. And you know what? Maybe uh, modeling for your kids that, you know, not staying with a toxic uh, relationship might be better, that it's better to be alone than to be with someone constantly cheating on you. Maybe that is a better model for your kids. I mean, I don't know what your kids are, but let's say you have daughters and your daughters are being raised to accept the idea that one parent uh, cheating constantly is acceptable. And therefore, when she grows up and she gets married and has a cheating husband, she just thinks that's normal. How would you feel modeling that for your daughter, that 
you know, cheating in the relationship is just normal part of the relationship. Is that what you want modeled for her or for your son? Do you want him to grow up thinking that, you know, having a wife cheating on him is just a normal part of the relationship and think that that's okay if he's in a relationship where his wife or his girlfriend is constantly cheating on him? You got to think about what it is you're modeling for the kid on both sides of the situation and figure out what is the least toxic, but stop using them as an excuse to stay in a toxic relationship. All right. So that's it uh, for this particular episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, If this is your first time listening in, uh, leave me a rating and a review. And don't forget to hit subscribe so that you never miss another episode. Share this around with your friends, family who need advice, or just enjoy the entertainment. Thank you so much, and I will be back again soon.